Welcome back in. Mark Grody with you on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score here for another hour with you. We're talking Bears right now. The Bears host Arizona on Sunday. The Bears 4-7, and seven, two Arizonas 9-2. and two. And let's get into it with Jim Schwantz of Bears Radio, part of the pre- and post-game show. And Mr. Schwantz, former Bear, former Cowboy, joins me on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline. Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. What's going on, Jimbo? How are you, man? I'm all right, Mark. How are you doing this evening? I am I'm doing well. I just Good. thought of something, like with all the, the the negativity that does exist with the Bears, justifiably so. What if the Bears beat Arizona? What then? Well, I, I think you, it, it depends if, if Kyler Murray plays. I think if Kyler Murray plays, even though you know they, they've, they've done well without him the last couple of weeks, um, I still think he's the, he's the difference maker um, that when you want to go out and beat an elite team, he's the guy you want to go out and beat. I know you know we all kind of suffered through a couple of weeks ago not getting to see Lamar Jackson play. These are the kind of guys that, you know, if you're a season ticket holder and the season's gone south, you hold on to these season tickets because you want to see this athlete play. You want to see, you know, Dan Marino in his prime. You want to see Elway in his prime. Teams that you didn't normally see at Soldier Field because they're out of, the, out of your conference. Um, or out of the, you're, you're, you're out of the, uh, the division, out of the conference, I should say. And here you got Kyler Murray, an opportunity to see an up and coming star in the league. So if they if they beat him and Kyler Murray's behind center, then then I think you know you, you've got a formula there that's something that that you can build on. If if you beat him and Kyler's not there, um, that's going to be another one of those yeah but games. And, and I talked a little bit about it after the game uh, against Detroit. You know you don't make no excuses, you make no no apologies when you win in the league. It's hard to win in the NFL. I get that. But you know, when you win, win against a team that, you know, the, the DeAndre Swift goes out very early in the game, um, it, it becomes a little of, yeah, but game. Yeah, but you beat the, the just the Detroit Lions. Yeah, mm. but they didn't have their best player. Yeah, but – and you, you don't – there's no style points in the NFL. It's wins and losses when it's all said and done. But um, this would be a big step up in competition. If you were able to beat that roster – I always look at football teams by rosters – Compare the two rosters, there's a marketable difference in the two rosters as far as talent and ability, especially at the skill positions and guys who have been able to make plays. Um, it, would be a, it would be a huge win for the Bears, but there would be a lot of things left to be answered, I think, before the end of the season. Yeah, and the Bears would, if Kyler Murray is to play, and I believe he will, he did practice today, so I think he's going to play. Just my my guess right now early in the week if if he's out there and he's full force, Kyler Murray, and the Bears really don't have a chance against him because it, because the defense had been struggling first of all, and then secondly, these injuries are yeah. the worst possible injuries. And I, Roquan Smith didn't practice today. I'm thinking he's not going to play. Khalil Max out. Akeem Hicks might be out as well. Who's going to stop anybody ultimately against a good offense, good to great offensive team? Yeah, and and now you're Sean Desai, and you're left kind of with, you know, what do you do in the toolbox is not full. I mean, you don't have, you know, the edge rushers that you can keep a guy like Kyler Murray in the pocket. You know, that's always when you get a mobile quarterback, you never want to be able to to escape to their right, to their throwing arm, and you never want them to be able to break perimeter. So, you know, you want to keep that mush rush, so to speak, and and, and collapse the pocket. That's the traditional conventional wisdom. He's still a young quarterback. Do you blitz him? Because he's a young quarterback, and that's what young quarterbacks, well, if you don't have guys that can keep him in the pocket and you blitz him, he's just going to run away from the blitz. So 
do you have a guy that can spy him? No, the Bears don't have that guy because that guy's Roquan Smith, and he's not going to be out there. And so you're right. There's there's so many def- deficiencies, and then you know you, you start looking at what they what they're able to do uh, on the outsides w- without you know with uh, uh, in the throwing game, and the Bears are still looking for that number two corner. I mean, Kendall Vildor, You know, I don't believe they go back to him. I, I thought Artie Burns. You know, with the exception of the double move that he got beat on, and then that one play where he was just absolutely disinterested in tackling, which has been an epidemic for the Bears in the secondary, it just seems to kind of kind of bounce from guy to guy. Um, you know, he, he didn't he didn't show very well coming off the knee injury a couple of years ago. So, I, I you know they're still looking for that other corner, and, and who's that going to be? And then you know this team runs a guy in the slot who's probably faster than than, than any you know number one receiver you're going to see in Rondell Moore. And so, you know, you really have a problem there when it comes to it. And then they got two dynamic running backs that can run the ball, guys that can catch the ball in the backfield, Edmonds and, and Connor. So, you know, they're, they're a problem on offense. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and the Bears today did sign defensive back D. Virgin to the, the practice squad. So that's a position they are looking down the line on in terms of trying to, to get it right because it's kind of broken right now. Speaking of of broken Jim Schwantz of Bears Radio and the mayor of Palatine. Have you ever had broken ribs, cracked ribs, bruised ribs? Nothing, no, nothing that rose to the level, you know, just getting my getting the wind knocked out. I mean, I was, a, I was the outside guy on a, a kickoff return against Atlanta, and they tried to do one of those surprise onsides. That, that's back in the day where you could pound it in the ground and go straight up in the air. And, you know, I jumped up because once it hits the ground, you can't fair catch it. So you jump up and, and to, to grab it out of the air and, and, and you know, ribs were exposed. I got a helmet in the ribs. That, that was no fun. But, no, nothing to the level where, you know, where, where it's where it's worth it. Like, you know, what, what you're seeing now with these guys with the, with the, with the rib injuries. That's uh, – I couldn't imagine. Yeah, and, and that's it. I, I saw him practice today. I mean, in the, the window that we are given to watch him, I mean, I was – he he was throwing, and what I was really watching was to see if if he was reacting after he threw. Was he wincing or mm-hmm. or favoring it? And he wasn't. Um, I guess it's a little bit surprising, but like these ribs injuries, I don't know. It sounds like it might be like a pain tolerance thing. I I, I think it's possibly plays. Do you think that it's one of? The, do you think that'd be a mistake for the Bears? Do you think they'd just be like, hey, let's let the kids sit out a week, or let hey, let's see how tough you are. Well, if he's ready and and he's and he answers all the medical questions and can do the things that the medical staff need him to do to to be able to uh, to check the box and he plays. I think they've made that apparently uh, obvious, uh, uh, plainly obvious. I should say that that he is going to be your quarterback um, as long as he's not putting himself in harm's way. Now, if it's an injury that you know you suffer another hit and and you're going to be back to square one, or it could be worse. Um, then obviously he he, he sits because he's a long term investment. But uh, you know I I think it was just it was just an odd play where he got hurt. And I know there were reports at one point of a spleen, and that's where he started to kind of really the red flags go up. Glad glad to see it wasn't. Thankfully it wasn't, and uh, it's just something that, that that will heal in time. But um but but if he's if he answers all the medical questions and he's able to do whatever the tests are that they need him to do to be able to go out there, um you know and can play pain free then. And that then he goes. And if this is one of those deals where he's got to take a shot to, you know, block the area to be able to get through the game, then good lord, he's he, he's too young in his career. He's too important to the organization. I don't believe you put him out there. Talking to former Bear and former Cowboy Jim Schwantz, who is now part of Bears Radio on the pre and post game show. I'm Mark Grody on the score. 
So so there is Justin Fields and him going forward and hopefully getting back to starting, if not this week, then the following week in Green Bay at uh, at Lambeau Field. Um, with with Fields where he is right now and all that has happened, what did you think, Jim, of everything that went on last week with the report of Matt Nagy's job being over after the Detroit game, with the report that George McCaskey was the one who told Matt Nagy that he essentially had to start Justin Fields. Those reports were denied, debunked, however you want to phrase it. <laughs> what did you think of it all, and where are we now because of it all? Well, you know, unfortunately with the organization, you know, I, so when there's smoke, there's fire, and, and, and there's something going on. Whether it's these two specific things you talk about where coach is going to be done after the Thanksgiving Day game or that, you know, upper management or ownership are the ones who said to start – start the young kid um back in the old days you know and i can only go back to, to when i was playing there was a lot of stuff that swirled around i was with the cowboys a lot of stuff I, I don't need to tell you if the social media was where it is today um that that team does not win three super bowls in four years it just doesn't happen there was so much that was going on but back then those days there was you you'd get one two even three sources before you went to to to, to print mm-hmm. and and I don't know if those days are gone or, or what it is. I know the individual who got, who supposedly got that Nagy was going to be fired after is a Pulitzer Prize winner, and, and he had a great, great source. But I was always, at least, and, I, and I'm not a media guy, but I was always under the impression you got one or two, you know, solid sources before you ran with something like that. I just think it's a, it seems to me it's a, it's a, uh, it's a race to see who can be first more than who can be accurate. And when you're not accurate, you just say, oh, you know, my source was wrong or. It, you know, it, they changed their story or whatever it was. And, and that's the thing that bothers me a little bit. It's coming from the other end. And I've been around, you know, when, when coaches have been fired. I, I had a coach fired when I was in, at Purdue. I was around when Ditka got fired. I was around when Wansett got fired. I'm good at getting fired. Coaches fired, I guess, is what I'm getting at. But, um, but, but when you're around it and it starts to swirl, you know, it, it, those, those, are, those are guys' livelihoods. I mean, we, we saw what happened with Coach Nagy's son you know uh on the field and, and, and his dad's just trying to watch a football game and you know fire naggy chance you know breakout fine go after the coach he, mm-hmm. he signed up for it he's a big boy i understand all that but it doesn't make any sense to to get it down to the high school level and and, and, oh, and yeah. where it comes from with that and that all kind of transpired from from one individual saying that you know he heard from a source um that that this was going to happen um as far as the the, the coach or you know the uh the the, the field thing starting um, you know, that, that's, again, I, you know, I need to see more than one, you know, source coming out and saying that that's exactly what happened because, you know, I certainly, you know, I've been around the organization a long time. Um, I, I know, you know, for a fact that, uh, you know, that, that some people talk at some point and some emotional things come out from time to time. And, and, and when cooler heads prevail, then cooler heads prevail. But um, I just I just would rather see it be collaborated more. Um, with just more than just one person saying it or one source saying it, I'd rather see it, uh, uh, you know, uh, solidified before before it goes before it goes out into the social media. Yeah, world. Uh, no, you're right, and I don't know. If there's, unfortunately, I don't know if there's any turning back at this point. It is it no. going to correct itself? And I'm talking about social media and the way we report these days. Is it going to correct itself eventually, or is it just going to get worse? And like we'll get farther and farther and farther away from you know, AP style and things like that, like the little handbook that I was given at Illinois State on things of, of that nature. Like that is that is 
pretty much it, it, it is like I said, it's either going to be gone forever or it will eventually correct himself. I hope it is the latter, but we shall, shall see. Tell me if I'm right about this or not, Jim Schwanson, because everybody wants to know like what do the players think about all of this? You know what they say publicly in terms of all the the noise last week and what they're saying privately may be different. What I said is I think that the Bears locker room is comporting themselves exactly as your and I mean a listener's office place would be too if they knew their their boss's job was in danger. Some people would probably be happy. Some people would be upset. Some people would feel insecure. Like, what is that going to mean for me? Um, am I correct in thinking that there are that it, there are just a wide array of different feelings and emotions that go on when a head coach or GM or whomever big name is when they're on their way out? Yeah, I can I can just tell you based on kind of the, the year that I was in in Chicago. I, you know, I, I was undrafted out of school. Um, Coach Coach Ditka and, and Jeff Shiver and 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 his scouts, you know, brought me in as a free agent. Um, I make the team as a free agent on the practice squad. So I go 16 weeks back then. Never get um, get elevated until the very last game of the year before the the the, uh, the uh, Dallas game. I get elevated the practice squad to the active roster. It was a, it was more of a move. To, to keep me locked up for the following year. So season ends, and here I hear it was. I worked my tail off. I, I, I caught the eye of the coaches. I did everything I needed to do. I earned an opportunity to play the last game of the season, and boom, they're fired. Mm. So now I'm mm. like, what do I do now? Yeah, now I got totally. I start from zero. I start yeah. from absolute zero. Oh so there's a, part of me saying, there's a part of me saying all that, all that equity I built up is gone. There's yeah. another part of me saying, well, obviously, I wasn't good enough to make it till the very end. So maybe I have a chance to 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 get my you know to to impress this next group, and maybe I I, I actually make the football team. So I, I kind of saw it from both ways. And 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 you're right. There's there's a bunch of people in that locker room who maybe aren't getting the ball thrown to them enough, or maybe they keep saying. I mean, it trickles down to the youth sports. Mark, you can you can look at every youth sport there is out there, and if your kid's not you know playing enough, well, it's the coach's fault. Obviously, it's coach's mm. fault, you know. And I've been around teams that I, I, teams that haven't won a game, and I said Bill Belichick couldn't coach this team to win a game. <laughs> this is it's about talent. You got to take care of yourself. I had a coach in San Francisco tell me, "We're not married to any one of you guys. You are all independent contractors. Mm. So whether you're playing for the Bears or whether you're playing for the Colts or the you know, San Francisco 49ers, you know we can cut you tomorrow, and you're going to have to go find another gig. So." You've got to take care of yourself, and I think what these players have to understand is um, when you play and you play on Sundays and the level that, uh, that you play at, the professional level that you play at, and the, the word gets out throughout the NFL. It's not like the old days with free agency now. Everybody knows everything about everybody. And if you're, I, I always ask one thing. I, ask, I, I, I work pretty closely with a, a staff member with the Bears, and, and I always ask them, and then I ask the opposing team, because I, I have an opportunity to talk to the opposing team's uh, uh, people as well, and, and when they're at Soldier Field, I say, what's Joe Burrow like off the field? What's mm-hmm. he like? First guy in the locker room, first guy out of the locker room. He's great. He goes. He does things in, this, in the community. He never tells the press that he's doing them. He just goes to the hospitals, and he meets with the kids, and he does these things. You find out about who these guys are character-wise. Yeah. A situation like this is where you really find out who the character guys are on this team and who are the guys that are come out and going to be professional about what they do, play at the highest level, not squawk and complain about it. Those are the guys that have long-term careers in this, in this, in this game. The ones that are the locker room lawyers, the ones that are lobbying to get people moved or fired or get the football more or whatever. Those guys don't have long careers in the NFL. Good. 
<laughs> um, and now I want to ask you to follow up on on something you just said uh, within that answer. And you talked about how it has trickled down to the lower levels of football. Hey, fire the coach. That's just what we do. That's the involuntary yep. response that starts at the NFL level and goes to college. And, and you say that it has trickled down. So let me ask you this. Is it become a almost a, a false narrative or false solution, I should say, that firing a head coach is what needs to be done when an organization is having a poor year? Oh, for sure. I think there's certain times it has to happen, right? There's certain times when, when, when the message isn't being heard anymore, um, when the effort is, being, is poor, when you're not getting – because I've said this before, the Hollywood speeches that you see on any given Sunday when you go to the movie theater, those things don't happen in the NFL. When a coach gets up and, and, and has that Hollywood speech moment, guys are thinking about their assignments. They're thinking about what the game's going to happen. They're thinking about what the first couple plays are going to be like. They're thinking about what their opponent does. Uh, uh, when, when he gets ready to rush the passer, or, 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 or when, 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 you know, what kind of setup he has when, when, they're, uh, when they're on third down. Th- that's what they're thinking about. There's not a coach that can scream and yell or, or, or get you to play at a higher level. You're, if you're a professional, you're out there playing at the highest level ever. So, but at some point, yeah, there, there, is a, there are coaches, you know, there needs, moves need to be made. Um, we, we've, we've seen it. We've seen coaches throughout the NFL, not just in Chicago, that you're like, oh, my God, that guy. He doesn't need a job anymore. He, he needs to be gone. Right. But you know, the, but but you know, the, the five hundred teams, um, you know, you know, firing Lovey Smith after he wins whatever it was ten games or whatever, and and without having a, a, a backup plan to that, without having a succession plan, those are the things that that you, you don't want to get caught in. You don't want to get caught in coach purgatory mm-hmm. where you're constantly you know hiring and firing coaches like the Browns did for those years or like the the the, the, the like the Lions have done. You never want to be in that position um, because there has to be some stability. You have to stick with some of these coaches through some rough times. But if the, if you read the locker room, if you read the uh, if the the, uh, the the you know the captains of the team, the leaders of the team, if they're not getting the kind of feedback from the coach and the coach is not getting that kind of trickle down into the locker room, then there does need to be a change. It does need to happen. But you know, sometimes it's about the talent on the field. Sometimes it's about scheme. Sometimes it's about um, you know, Coach Nagy's—he's a first-time head coach. He's—he's he's learning on the job. He's made a lot of mistakes with clock management. He's a lot of mistakes with personnel groupings. He's made a lot of mistakes with—you know—going forward on fourth down or not going forward on fourth down. And you can tell from the sidelines, he just looks disjointed. Um, Mike Tomlin had those same problems. Bill Belichick had those same problems. And they're—and they're—and they are longtime coaches with a lot of wins and a lot of successes with them. Does Mike Nagy ever rise to that level? Who knows? But if he's not given the opportunity to do that, we will never know. Yeah. So, but those are the tough, tough decisions that management and, uh, and and ownership need to make because you know the last thing you want to do is be the uh, Cleveland Browns and firing Bill Belichick, and then he ends up you know winning six Super Bowls in, in New England. Yeah, and you know, and, and back to the the chanting that 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 does add to it because the the. The Bears have to listen to their fan base, although it doesn't have to be what what the decision, you know, the last thing that they use to make the decision. They have to listen to that, and they have to know that, you know, this is what there's a human being in Matt Nagy who is enduring this right now and is protecting him, letting him go. You know what I mean? Like that's it's a tough way to look at it, but it could be. No, there's no doubt. I mean, you know, and and 
it's not going to be very long into the game because it's it's the in vogue thing to do. It's a cool thing to do. That yeah. chant will will. There's got to be an over under prop bet in Vegas. How many times it breaks out during the game? Because if there's a three and out, if there's a bad, you know, if there's a third and fifteen, they throw the ball six yards. Those are the chants are going to come out. I guarantee it. If the if yeah. the first half doesn't go the way the Bears hope it goes, you know, let's just put it this way: anything short of a of a of a of an upset victory or a you know a forty two to to nothing win by the Bears, at some point that chance is going to come out. And yeah. um, it's just going to be a matter of how many times it comes out and how loud it gets and, and how much, you know, uh, how, how much backing it has. Um, and you're right. It's it, at some point, if it's, uh, if it's overwhelming and, and Bears ownership hears that, and it's, you know, the next, uh, whatever, three or four home games the Bears have after this one, and it's, and it's prevalent and it's prevalent at the United Center and it's prevalent, you know, throughout uh, other, other, other sporting venues then, yeah, they're going to hear that. There's no doubt about it. Jim, great stuff, man. I really appreciate you jumping on with me, and we will talk more this weekend when the Bears host uh, Arizona on Sunday and WBBM, and you'll be part of their pregame show starting at 9 a.m., uh, brother. See you Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Sounds great, man. That is uh, Jim right, Schwantz of – yep, see you later, man – of of Bears Radio and uh, great conversation with him. Top text says Bears management should not let the fans influence who the coach will be. Well, no, I don't think so. I, no, of course, you, they're not going to have a contest to see who the next Bears head coach is. But that, that it, your fan base does influence decisions. There, there's no way around that. I understand what you're saying. You know, Bob on the south side should not get to decide between the two next hot coordinators for the for the Bears. However, as a fan base and a group, all teams listen to their fan base. Maybe it doesn't seem like they do, but they listen. And when things get to a point that it is, say, untenable, they have to do something about it, no matter what the obstacle is or what the case is, whether it's a coach on the way out, a GM, whatever your controversy might be. That is, the teams have to listen to the fan base, and it's undeniable with what has been going on with the Nagy chants and what will continue to go on probably early at Soldier Field. It's it's a little disheartening, but it's going to happen. And yes, you have to, the public relations is real. There are departments called public relations to take care of such matters. So it, it's going to be, it's, it's interesting, and uh, we obviously will continue to follow it. The other big thing we're following tonight is free agent pitcher Marcus Stroman, a three-year deal with the Cubs for $71 million is the report. We will do a quick hit with Bruce Levine, the score's baseball man, next on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Chicago Sports Station. As uh, Bell tries to bunt, but don't do that against Stroman. He's just too good. That's a fantastic play by Stroman, who is just a world-class fielder on the pitching mound. Oh, he can play defense too? Who knew? Free agent pitcher Marcus Stroman reaches a three-year deal with the Cubs, reportedly worth $71 million. Marcus Stroman is officially a Chicago Cub. I'm Mark Grody here with you until 9. Let's talk more about Stroman right now with our guy from the score, baseball insider, Bruce Levine joins us on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. How big is this for the Cubs, Bruce? It's huge. It's the biggest signing they've had in weeks. 
<laughs> That's absolutely it's, you know, true. It's a, you know, it's an important signing for the Cubs. I think signing Stroman is one thing. Uh, he's a very good pitcher. He's going to give them innings. He's going to give them some swagger on the field. He's going to give them some swagger off the field. He's going to make his starts. But more importantly, I think the message to Cub fans is the important one, and that is, you know, we've been hearing on social media and on the score for the last couple of months since the season ended that the Cubs are just sitting on their money. They're not going to do anything. They don't want to compete. They just want to sit back and watch what happens. Well, when you spend 22 to $23 million a year on a pitcher for the next three years, uh, and it's the third highest amount average-wise that you're given a pitcher uh, in, in the team history, wow. you're, not, you're not joking around. You know, this is – this. I mean, the only, the only ones that have surpassed this mark as far as uh, average per year – uh, have been uh, John Lester and you Darvish. So you're not just spending money to spend money. Uh, this is not the final move that the Chicago Cubs will be making in the offseason. We don't know if there's a lockout or not, not starting tonight or tomorrow or pretty soon, and that uh, business stops for Major League Baseball. But uh, we can tell by this move that the Cubs have uh, plenty more moves left in them going towards spring training. If they are not messing around, as you said, and I agree with you, is it possible that that means that something even bigger is coming from the Cubs and not just other things? Like uh, signing Alfonso Soriano? <laughs> yes, yes. Is there pressure from the top like there was then? <laughs> <laughs> to who, you know, I mean, hey, if if that's what if that's what the big bosses are saying, go sign everybody, go get them. You know, I don't know if spending the most money is the important thing here, but uh, certainly they didn't shy away from it in this signing. I, I know that they've been talking to agents for other pitchers as well. You know, they missed out on uh, Stephen Matz, who uh, signed with the Cardinals. They were looking to sign him. I, I think they're going to sign more pitchers. Obviously, they need. They have some young pitching coming along in the organization, and we saw uh, some of them uh, in action last year. But I think another top-flight uh, starting pitcher is something that's on the agenda. Uh, they have to solidify the bullpen uh, a little bit. Uh, more importantly, they need some offensive players in the outfield. They need a, a probably a defensive center fielder that can play every day. They need a shortstop that can play every day. And I'm not looking past Nico Horner, but, you know, after a year of uh, three or four different injuries, you know, you have to to say, well, he's still a guy that's only played a few hundred baseball games. We don't know if he's an everyday shortstop. So I think they have to go out there and get themselves a a defensive shortstop, a defensive center fielder, add some pop to the team. They have a lot of work to do, uh, but this is a good start. Yeah, and they they have so they have to depend so much on, you know, scouting and projecting because I I don't know Bruce is is what Patrick Wisdom did was that the outlier last year and he's never going to come close to that again. Is Frank Schwindel? Is there some essence of that that is 
that is real. Um, Rafael Ortega goes on and on and on. And you mentioned Horner's a guy they have to evaluate. They they just don't know exactly what they have in so many of these. Pl- Ian Happ even Bruce. Like I don't know is Bruce, was was he was the the greatness that he was towards the end of last season. Is that like did he find something and now he's going to be Ian Happ All Star? Like it's it's tough, isn't it? It really is. Uh, I mean, you can evaluate all you want from now until the beginning of spring training, and you can't be 100% sure about anything. What you can be sure about is that uh, Jed Hoyer and uh, uh, Carter Hawkins will be going out there looking for more ball players. They've said they're not going to be afraid to spend. You have to agree with them now. I mean, in the last last two days, you know, they spent $30 million on a, on a more than a backup catcher in Jan Gomes, and uh, – and signing a Stroman here to a, a deal that is going to pay him at least $71 million over the next three years. So uh, if you bring in a veteran 35-year-old catcher, uh, someone that uh, has history with Carter Hawkins from his days in Cleveland, and you bring in a 30-year-old pitcher who's going into his prime, uh, you're not doing it uh, for show and tell. You're yeah. doing it because you think you have a chance to win and compete in the National League Central which is not going to be easy with a, a team like Milwaukee and what they throw out there every day pitching-wise and a team that, like the Cardinals and what they throw out there. So uh, I, I think the, that for the first time since the season ended, I think Cub fans can look at uh, the front office with the Cubs and say they are serious about wanting to bring in players that can compete. Interesting. So what did the, does the Jan Gomes thing mean anything at all for Wilson Contreras? Well, it, it does in a couple of ways, Mark. Number one, it gives the Cubs something they, they needed desperately. Even, uh, let's say, even if Wilson Contreras signs a, a four-year extension at some point this offseason, they needed somebody that could catch 40 or 50 games or even more uh, if something happened to Wilson Contreras. Uh, and, and something has happened to Wilson Contreras on numerous occasions. He's had injuries that have, kept him out for a month at a time in three different seasons. So you bring in a guy like Gomes, who they know can catch every day for a longer period of time than a week or 10 days. Nothing was worse than watching some of their catchers last year try to uh, piece together good games and take over leadership of that pitching staff when uh, Contreras was out of there. So from that perspective, uh, they've they've already solidified that. And uh, these are moves that are being made not for eyewash, but for, for reasons that they feel they need to be more competitive. They want good catchers who can help some of those young pitchers develop into the pitchers that they hope they'll be at the major league level as well. So I don't think it's a, it's a, a death knell for the career of Wilson Contreras with the Cubs. I think it, uh, it does push both sides knowing that you have a veteran. It might push the Contreras side to say, well, if they're offering a three- or four-year contract, maybe we should take a harder look at it. Or it gives them the flexibility to trade Wilson Contreras uh, sometime during the 2021-22 uh, campaign uh, if, indeed, uh, they're not going to be able to sign him. Let me circle back to Marcus Stroman before I let you go, Bruce. How, how good is he still at, at the age of 30 and what what part of a rotation is Marcus Stroman in? Like, is he is he above Hendricks at this point? Is he is he better? Like, is an innings eater guy lower in the rotate? Like, what where does he fit in? 
and on the Cubs, he's a one 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 right along with Hendricks. He's 179 innings. He's a guy that makes 30 made 33 starts last year. Throws 97 miles an hour with a, a devastating sinker. He doesn't give up a lot of home runs, which is a really good thing, as you know from having watched all those games at Wrigley Field. Uh, you know, it's it's a home run hitter's park for portions of, of the year. So uh, this is a guy that. Uh, this is a guy that should be uh, at the top of the rotation for the Chicago Cubs. Um, I, I think that they're going to count on him to be that, uh, along with Miley, who they picked up on waivers. It gives them three pitchers that they can count on, most likely for 165 to 185 innings. Uh, that's quite a difference from what they saw last year, where they could hardly get a pitcher to go out there and throw four <laughs> innings before David Ross was pulling them and bringing in one of those really good uh, bullpen pitchers. So it's, it's going to be on paper, of course, sitting here on December 1st on paper, it's going to give them uh, much more, many more innings from the the rotation and uh, a different, uh, different look for them uh, for the bullpen, not having to complete uh, games from the fourth or fifth inning on every night. Last one for real. You get, you got my, my Cubs brain churning now. So I got to sneak in one final one is, Edward Alzali going to be it, uh, out of the Cubs bullpen or a starter next year? Uh, that's a great question. I don't think they know because uh, as a starter, he had some good starts, but he uh, he struggled in those innings, you know, in, into the fifth and the sixth inning for sure uh, on occasion. Uh, out of the bullpen, he seemed to be a different pitcher, right, Mark? Yeah. Uh, you know, kind of a loosey-goosey guy shutting teams down for three or four innings at a time. Maybe that's his strength. Uh, maybe they don't force the uh, the rotation on him. Certainly in this day and age when we see bullpens being as important as they are, that the, the guys that can throw three or four innings two or three times a week, uh, those are as valuable as starting pitchers. Amen. And we, we might just be seeing it like play out right in front of us, the transformation of a young prospect – given a chance to start and now maybe transferring into being a bullpen. Like that's how it happens for hundreds and hundreds of original starters that turn into bullpenners. So we will obviously continue to track that. And Bruce, great information as always. I liked, I liked some of the, the, the words you were using tonight, like um, show and tell. this ain't for show and tell, and this isn't eyewash. I mean, you were coming heavy with that brand. I was enjoying it. I have that whole list in front of me. I'm going to be using it again <laughs> on Grabber's show tonight if, oh. uh, if indeed there is a lockout. And at 6.42 with uh, Mully and Haw tomorrow morning, oh my God. I'll, be, I'll be bringing the whole chart out. Oh, my God. That's awesome. So that's interesting you say that. So you are going to jump on with Grabber at midnight as the, as the lockout inevitably occurs, eh? Well, we don't know that the lockout will occur necessarily. Okay. It's not automatic. It's not automatic that the lockout occurs at midnight it's an action that the owners have to take so they could do it at midnight they could do it tomorrow they could do it on january 12th we'll just have to wait and see okay bruce you are a mensch mensch of the year thank you happy hanukkah back to you my friend back to you as well thank you thank you that is the one and only bruce levine yeah we'll see he, he's the first one that gave me a, like the gl- tiniest little bit of glimmer of hope that there won't be a lockout, but just a tiny little piece. The rest of me says Bruce Levine will be going on with Les Grobstein at midnight to talk about a baseball lockout. So that, man, that is a 
That is a the gauntlet for Bruce Levine. I, I really mean it when I say thank you for coming on, Bruce Levine, if you're still listening, because that is, you know, in the midst of thinking about Grobber and then getting up at 6, I'm sure, 6 o'clock to get ready for the Molly and Haw, and then you come on with me in the middle of the night. Wow, that was that was really good. Good get by you, Mr. Callahan. He didn't put up a fit, did he? He didn't come after you. Hey, he was uh... – we got him. We'll leave it at that. We got him. <laughs> yes, we did. All right, we'll continue to talk baseball, a few odds and ends at the end of this particular show, and then we will get you out of here as the countdown to the lockout will continue. I'm Mark Grody. It's not, we're not really doing that. I'm Mark Grody at Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Chicago Sports Station. Currently, We currently have no announcements, further announcements scheduled for today. How's that? Uh, do I, is it possible that something comes together over the next 11 hours? That, that'd be marvelous. We're certainly open to it. Uh, but as at this time, we have no further announcements planned the rest of the day. That is White Sox general manager, Rick Hahn addressing the mass media today. Got nothing to announce today. Got nothing for you. And, and that is exactly how White Sox fans are hearing it, that you ain't got nothing for us for next year. You're going to leave us with the team that choked at the end of last year, which the White Sox kind of did, considering the regular season they had. Man, to, they, now they're it, twice now the Sox have been knocked out of the playoffs in rather dramatic, easy fashion. And that that is what and so Sox fans, I don't blame you for being angry that nothing or angsty that nothing has happened yet to augment the team because two years in a row you've been an easy exit from the playoffs. You've been a pushover for for team. So there's a lot of really good, maybe great players on this White Sox team, but they are missing something. They are missing something. And I don't even know exactly what it is, but they are missing something. So one thing I did not like hearing tonight on on the show was, and I I meant to bring this up, um, was Michael Kopech still being on a pitch count. That's what Scott Merkin told us from MLB.com. He just kind of said it parenthetically. said, well, you know, Michael Kopech could be on a pitch. Has he ever not been on a pitch count? Like his entire White Sox existence has been tempering, tempering this man. Pitch counts. Like what? when, when do they let him go full throttle? Unleash the man. Unleash him. Like he, it just seems like, for, like it just is part of him. It comes with, here's Michael Kopech. He throws a hundred miles per hour. He's got a great slider. Um, but you're, you're going to need to have a program for him. He's going to need a pitch count. That's, that's, it's like the special instructions to the babysitter. He's great. He is wonderful, but you can only take it so far. Here's, here's the list. Here's what I would suggest. Five innings. Or 82 pitches. Yeah. And no bullpen. So it's like he's got directions. He's he's the he's the gifted kid that you have, but it comes with with some directions. And there's a rule book for Michael Kopech. Uh it, it it's like for it's like the pandemic. 
just when you think it's over, it's not. It just like it's just part of us now. It's just, we have to we live a certain way, and maybe it'll never return to normalcy. That's exactly what is is going on right now with with Michael Kopech. It he he is there, but it it comes with a a tag. It, it seems so. I, I am waiting for that to be over. The the Michael Kopech needing a a pitch count. So that. That's a um, hugely important thing to think about, too. As solidified as the White Sox rotation does look, there are big question marks beyond Dylan Cease right now. And even Dylan Cease is still a big question mark to me. So Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito, good to go, locked in, all that. You got the deal done with with uh, Lynn last year. Dylan Cease you know, the only thing that everybody says about Dylan Zeese is he's got the best stuff. He's got the best stuff. He's got the best stuff. So far, it that that we need to stop talking about that because that is not translated the way the best stuff on the on the staff should translate, and it should translate into being a one or two pitcher, not a three or four, as he continues to be right now. So I don't know how either he doesn't actually have the best stuff on the team or it's not an indicator of where a pitcher should be in in the rotation. Although most aces have really good stuff. So if he's got the best stuff and that's all we hear about it and everybody hits us over the head, I've probably said it because, you know, it seems like he has really good stuff, but it's not translating, which means to me either he, that doesn't matter as much as we think it does. Like all the, the trickery and all the, the movement that we see on a pitch, um, or he's just he's not fit to to be that guy. So I know it sounds like I'm being hard or harsh almost on Dylan Cease, but you can't be the guy with all the great stuff and then it not translating exactly to to greatness. Um, that's why I have in the past compared him to Gavin Floyd, a, a former. White Sox pitcher, whether or not they have the same pitches or they're actually similar pitches, Gavin Floyd was that guy for the White Sox. Where this guy, oh my God, he's got it all. He's got he's got all the pitches. He's got all the stuff, but it never translated to where I don't even remember where he ended his career. Did he, did he even finish as a starter? I don't know if he did. It kind of fizzled out, but he was also that guy that they hit you over the head with. He's got he's got all the great stuff, and really, you're almost indicting the guy because you're saying that he's got the stuff, but something mental that is not quite hooking up or something because so much of the game is mental. So I don't know. I, I and I have to you know point the thumb. I have to be careful not to continue to fall into that trap of just saying Dylan Cease has great stuff. Well, 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 you know we've been saying that for two years now. We can't stop keep saying that and not have him be that guy that one or two the one that we all want to see do great things but just just hasn't um been able to do those kinds of things so so there there is that and then there is Dallas Keuchel I think last year was flukish for him I I think he's much better I mean he got bad for Dallas Keuchel last year but his he has the type of stuff that ages well, depending on location and umpires and things like that. So I think that that's a pretty comfortable place to have Dallas Keuchel still as one of your lower guys down the down the pike. Whether he's your probably your five, but then again, 
rule book Michael Kopech might come with directions that say, let's wait till the fifth day of the year to start Michael Kopech. So maybe maybe Keuchel will be the number four in that rotation. So I, I, I'd be surprised if the White Sox did anything else to to augment it. You know who would have looked good with the White Sox? It was Marcus Stroman. So that, that would have been, oh, wow, a perfect fit. But the Sox are pretty good at starting pitcher. And who knows what will happen with Carlos Rodon? Maybe they got big plans still for Carlos Rodon. I, I, you would think that both sides would want to. You would think that there'd have to be tons of injury type and games played incentives for Carlos Rodon wherever he signs. But that's one of the great, fun, interesting um, things that are coming soon for the, the White Sox, hopefully been a fun night tonight thank you all for listening i appreciate you calling and texting as always thanks to brian callahan for doing a great job producing the show like he does and our guest tonight ended up having quite a few pat finley was on scott merkin bruce levine and jim schwantz from bears radio i'm mark grody i'll talk to you tomorrow on chicago sports radio 670 the score